Let's open our Bibles this morning, on this Easter morning, to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, and we will, I will read verses 13 through, let's go through 32, 13 through 32 today. If you're able, would you stand with me as I read the Word of God? <laughs> Heavenly Father, we ask that you would come upon us this morning that our eyes might be open, our hearts ready to receive, our minds ready to understand your holy and precious word, so that we might live it out. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were conversing with each other about all these things which had taken place. And it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, well, what things? And they said to him, these things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word and in the sight of God and all the people and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early this morning and did not find his body. They came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he would go farther. And they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting towards evening, and the day is now nearly over. And he went in and stayed with them. And it came about that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. I know it uh, may seem difficult to believe, but there was a, uh, a time in my life when I was somewhat intemperate, uh, where I was uh, not slow to anger, but fast to anger, and usually it came when I was not playing golf very well. Um, I was known to uh, drop a club now and then. Okay? Now, for you golfers, dropping a club doesn't mean, oh... I dropped it. What do I do now? Dropping a club means missing that three-foot putt that would have won the hole and taking your putter and dropping it down the fairway somewhere. Right? That's dropping a club. 
Now, now they don't usually show that on television, but I think the pros drop clubs now and then uh, if they hit bad shots. Well, here I was down in Myrtle Beach on vacation, and I had just dropped a club for I don't know how many clubs that day because I really wanted to play well, and I, and I just wasn't. And, and uh, my dad comes, and, and after uh, the second or third club that had hit the ground, he came to me and said, Rand, where are you? I said, I'm on the golf course, Dad. He said, where's the golf course? I said, uh, it's in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. He said, what color is the sky? And I said, it's a beautiful blue. What's the temperature? I said, it's 90 degrees. He said, do you like the people you're playing golf with? I said, yes. He says, isn't it a nice day? Like <laughs> I said, yes, it is. Okay. Yes, it is. See, golfers have this uh, saying, the, the worst day on the course is better than the best day in the office. Okay, because you're outside and, and you're just enjoying it. Now, if if your best day in the office and, and you've just closed a hundred million dollar deal, well, you know, take that into account. All right, but it, you're out there with good company. You're out, uh, even though uh, somebody said golf was it Churchill said it was a, golf was a, a good walk spoiled or something like that. What does he know? Okay. Worst day on the golf course. Better than the best day in the office. There is no day in history like this day. Now, I don't mean to be smug or condescending or say that, well, we, we Christians, we, we're the only ones who've got it going on. I'm just saying that's what the Lord says about it. Okay, that's what it says about it. And a person's belief or disbelief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ doesn't really change the reality or the effect upon history. There is that passage in Philippians chapter 2 that says on one day what every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and it doesn't matter whether every knee believes it or not they will bow they will confess they will know that he alone is Lord our personal belief or disbelief is simply not part of that equation of the realities of the greatness of this day now, as I said, this day had been planned from before the foundations of the earth. How else could our, our salvation have been guaranteed and sealed before the foundations of the earth unless the means by which that was to happen were done as well? Now, this thought is really the core of our passage. God does not make things up as he goes along. There is no plan B for God. There is only the plan. And the plan is perfect, and it is righteous, and it is just, and it will be fulfilled. It will be fulfilled. Now, Jesus doesn't come. Look at the, look at the passage here. Jesus doesn't come to these guys, and, and these two guys walking along the road. He doesn't come and, say, and, and, and meet them on the road and say, Guys, you recognize me? Do you know who I am? Uh, their eyes had to be closed to the reality of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the body was the same. The look was the same. They had been with him for years. They knew who Jesus was. Their eyes were purposely clouded to who he was for, for a purpose. And we will see this as this passage unfolds. The story is the disciples walking to Emmaus. And this is one of the 11 resurrection stories in the New Testament. 11 resurrection stories in the New Testament. This one's my favorite. Okay, This one is my favorite. Luke alone recounts this story, and in it we learn about 
the disciples who are almost inconsolable in their grief after the crucifixion and the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. All that they had invested in the last three years was gone. It was still, as far as, as far as they knew, he was still dead. Now, yes, they had heard reports that the tomb was empty, but it didn't register. That little light in their head did not go off yet. All their hopes and expectations for the kingdom lay dead with Jesus Christ. Their minds were not filled with the promises that we see in Scripture about his resurrection. That the Son of Man will spend three days in the tomb, just as Jonah the prophet spent three days where? In the belly of the whale. Okay, Jesus himself said that. So if you ever ask me, do you believe in Jonah and the whale? Literally, well, Jesus did. You argue with him. The resurrection is not part of their vocabulary at this point. And here they are on the road to Emmaus, and they are met by the risen Lord, but their eyes are veiled to who he is. Now look at verse 17. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. What is this conversation about? You can almost feel them walking along. Their countenance is, is, is heavy, their hearts are heavy, they're just kind of dragging their feet talking about this because everything that they had hoped for is gone and Jesus comes along and they're just kind of shocked that he doesn't understand what is going on. Now the Greek here where it says they, they stood still looking sad means downtrodden, broken hearted, weighed upon. And they began to describe all the things that had happened. But the reason... At the very heart, the reason why they are almost inconsolably sad, the reason they are disconsolate is because they have failed to believe the word of God. They have failed to believe the word of God. Just like the women on the way to the tomb who went to the tomb in love and in faith, but not enough faith to believe that Jesus wasn't going to be there. I mean, they were shocked when it was empty. He had told them this is what was coming. So these disciples believed in Jesus, but they failed to believe in the word of God that explained all about him, that after three days the tomb would be empty. Now they described to Jesus, whom they did not recognize, all these things that had happened, verses 18 through 24, but there are a couple things that they got wrong. A couple things that they got wrong, just three things that, that I'm going to point out here that helps us understand where they underestimated the things of Christ. They underestimated the things of Christ. Number one, verse 19. And he said to them, well, what things? And they said, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and of all people. And then jump down to verse 21. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. We were hoping. Now, they tell you what they believe. They believe that Jesus is a prophet, a prophet of God, and that he was the Messiah. Okay, that's what they believed, and these things are true, but Jesus is more than that. Okay, he's more than a prophet, he's more than the Messiah, and you say, well, how can you be more than the the Messiah? He was the Son of God, remember that. He was God incarnate. He, He was there at the right hand of the Father, and at the Father's time, He left the right hand of the Father and took on the form of a man in this world, God incarnate in this world, God in the flesh. And though they believed true things about him, 
they underestimated the person of the Messiah. Now, the Jewish people had been looking for the Messiah for a long time, who would come and give them deliverance, but they underestimated that God himself would come and provide for them the deliverance. So they underestimated the Messiah. Secondly, they, they underestimated the cost of redemption. They underestimated the cost of redemption. Look at verse 21. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Now that's what every pious Jewish person in the first century had hoped. They underestimated the cost of their redemption, the cost of what God was about to undertake. The cost of the redemption of God's people was that God had to come in himself in the flesh and shed his blood. That is the cost of the redemption of his people. The cross was not part of their expectation of the redemption of Israel. A savior who would die on behalf of his people, the son of God, they had no idea of the price of their salvation. Third, they underestimated the power of God at work in the resurrection. Now they knew something was supposed to happen because it was the third day. Look at verse the second half of verse 21. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. Okay? They knew something was supposed to happen on the third day, but they couldn't quite grasp it. They couldn't get their minds around it, even though Jesus has said, this is what you can expect. These things are going to happen. On the third day, it's going to be empty. I'm coming out of the grave. And they go, it's the third day. And, and yes, the, the lady said the tomb was empty. And then other disciples went and they said the tomb is empty. But it just doesn't register. They underestimated the cost of redemption, they underestimated the power of God at work in the resurrection. Now, look at verse 25. What is the first thing that Jesus says to them after they have laid out all of this to them? He says, you stupid heads. Oh, uh, your, your version doesn't say that, doesn't it? <laughs> That's pretty close, though. He says, you foolish men and slow of heart to believe. Now, in our terms, we might say, don't you get it? And he says, you're foolish. You're slow of heart to believe. Now, this is great. Verse 26. Was it not necessary? Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? It doesn't say, wasn't it a possibility? It doesn't say, well, it just happened, happened to happen this way. It says, wasn't it necessary? It had to happen this way, that the Christ had to suffer. Chris read from the passage in Isaiah 53 earlier today. He had to suffer these things to enter into his glory. Jesus makes it clear that their, their failure to see the truth rests in their failure to understand the word of God. Their failure to see the truth rests in their failure to understand and believe the word of God. All that the prophets had said about Jesus, that he had been teaching to his disciples about himself, had been true. His crucifixion, his resurrection, but it's very clear that they still hadn't gotten it. They still hadn't adequately understood what he meant. Now, Jesus does not 
come alongside them at this point and open their eyes. Remember, look at verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scripture. Ooh. If their failure and their sad, if their sadness and their lack of joy and their failure to understand that this was the third day and that Christ was supposed to come out of the tomb on this day, their failure was a failure to believe the word of God. So where does Jesus go? Right to the word of God. Right to the word of God. It's very important that they not recognize who he is yet until he has laid out for them all of the scriptures that they already knew. Remember, Jesus was born in a particular way, of a virgin. He lived in a particular way, without sin. He suffered in a particular way, silent before his accusers. He was tried in a particular way, unjustly. He was executed in a particular way, on a cross. And he died in a particular way. He laid down his life. Nobody took it from him. Why did he do these things in these particular ways? so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. They were done in the way that the Father had said they would be done. Okay, God said, this is the way the Messiah is going to come. This is how he is going to live. This is what's going to happen at the end. And sure enough, that's the way it happened. You trust God to do it the way he says he's going to do it. Their grief came from a failure to believe the word of God. And thus the remedy for their grief is the truth of the word of God. Their source of sadness, their lack of comfort, their hopelessness was a failure to believe what Jesus had been teaching them about the word of God and in particular about what the word of God said about him. So he goes back and reminds them what the word of God says. Jump down now to verse 30. After he had gone through the prophets and Moses and taught them all the things concerning himself about scripture. And then they sit down and eat. And it came about that when he had reclined at the table, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, began giving it to them. And their eyes were opened. Not that they opened their eyes. Remember, their eyes were kept from seeing. Now their eyes were opened by the power of the Lord. They recognized him, and he's gone. He vanished from their sight. And now this great, this great verse, and they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while, we were speak, while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining what to us? The scriptures. Their hearts burned within them when he explained the scriptures to them. Okay, burning hearts. I went and I checked with all the brainiac Greek guys I could find, and this is what it means. A burning heart is the emotional effect of new truth dawning on the mind. Of new truth dawning on the mind. You get so excited about it. Your chest tightens, your blood pressure rises, the little light in your brain comes on, and you go, that's what it means. Okay, and, and if you have read scripture and you've gone through and you've had those moments, you understand exactly what it means to have your heart burn within you. 
And this is what these two guys on the road to Emmaus experienced when Christ opened the scriptures to them and they saw the whole story for the first time once again. Their understanding of the Messiah was now correct. Their eyes were fully opened and all of their hopes were fulfilled when their eyes were open to scripture. Now it doesn't get any better than that. This is the greatest day of their lives. Now, if you're one of the people in this room today thinking, and you're scratching your head going, Jack, I wish I understood what Randy was talking about, because <laughs> my heart's never burned within me. Uh, and, and I hear these things, and I've heard this stuff plenty of times. Then you may be just like these two guys were. Your eyes are, are veiled to the presence of Christ. Maybe you've underestimated the terribleness of your sin and your need for forgiveness. Maybe you've underestimated the cost of forgiveness. Oh, you know what? Yeah, I'm not perfect, but, but there, what? there are plenty of people worse than me. Maybe you've underestimated the lengths to which God was willing to go so that your relationship with him could be restored. Notice I didn't say the lengths that you had to go to restore your relationship with him, because that will never happen. It's the lengths to which God is willing to go to restore your broken relationship with him. And that length was what? The death and resurrection of his son. Scripture makes these things clear. The wages of sin is death. Any unredeemed sin will result in eternal death forever. Our own efforts, no matter how hard we work, our own efforts will never cover the cost of restoring our relationship with God that was corrupted by sin. And then finally, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have eternal life. This is what scripture says. And this morning, if suddenly your heart is now, your chest is tightened and your blood pressure is rising and the light is coming on and your heart is burning within you, and, and you are suddenly seeing this for the first time, then this is the greatest day of your life. The day when Christ has said, I've given my life for you, and I'm calling you unto myself. Today is the day for you to confess your sin, to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and forever be changed. Let's pray. Lord, what a great gift you have given us in your Son. We don't deserve this, we can't earn this, but yet it is your perfect plan and will that he should give his life for us and that we might have your word to open up, to read. And when the Spirit opens our eyes, removes this veil from our eyes, then our hearts begin to burn within us as we see the truth of Scripture that we might believe with our heart, confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Heavenly Father, come upon us today. Come upon those who perhaps for the first time their hearts are burning within them, that they see that this is true that they might know salvation in Christ. And for those of us, Lord, whose, whose hearts have burned off and on throughout the years, and, 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 and we're, we might be seeing this anew for the first time, 
that we might have read this many times and now we see it and, and we are so excited that yes, my debt was paid by Christ. And because his grave is empty, there will be a day when mine is as well, when he comes back and calls my name. Then I will be clothed with the things imperishable, fit for all eternity with our Heavenly Father. Lord, we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.